Amen. Good morning, church. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a real joy to be with you as we continue our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. Our passage today comes from Mark 9, verses 1 through 10. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, uh, thank you for a moment. Uh, We want to hear from you. God, we want to learn uh, from your scriptures. We want to experience a touch of your spirit. We want to learn more what you have for us through this incredible story uh, of your transfiguration and what it means for our lives today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Our um, sermon title today is called Shine On. Shine On. And our alt title, sometimes you just need an alt title, is living unboxed. I came walking into church today like this, and people naturally say, what's in the box? What's in the box? People kept asking. You know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing's in the box. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil the surprise right now. But there's something about the box that is intriguing to me as we think about this text, because boxes are an interesting metaphor for what it is, what Jesus does here when he unboxes himself before his disciples. I don't know if you're like me, but like holidays and birthdays, like my house turns into like an Amazon box factory. It's a bit of an issue, right? Because uh, boxes, according to the uh, world box industry, is a $64 billion industry uh, because we, especially right now in an uh, Amazon world, we can't survive without boxes. Uh, the reality is, environmentally, boxes aren't great. That's probably a different sermon for a different day when we talk about Jesus and the environment. Because boxes take up about 30% of all of our waste right now. 84 million tons a year. But boxes have great value. I mean, when I go to Costco, I need to take a second mortgage out of my house because it's just what it's like right now to feed a family. And then they say, do you want a box? And the answer is always yes, because I never am smart enough to bring the bags with me. Uh, so boxes, they do things. They hold things. They contain things. They organize things. But they also, they can limit things. They can keep things put away in such a way that they, uh, they kind of go forgotten. Have you ever done that uh, where you just like start to go through a box and like, there's those things. There's those bills or those pictures or memories. I was doing that in my office recently. I was like, oh, there's all these cards and pictures. And we put them in a box because we want to take care of them. And then they just, some, you're probably more organized than me. But boxes have 
limitations. Today, we hear this story about Jesus who takes his three best friends up on the mountain and shows them his glory. He convenes Elijah and Moses and he is unboxed, he is unveiled. And really, the ministry of Jesus was constantly one of being unboxed. That, you know, certainly this was the only time in the Gospels where this kind of miracle happens. But every time Jesus tried to put Jesus in a box, he said no. Jesus, uh, people thought he was a revolutionary until he taught people that they should pay their taxes. People thought he was just a boy from a carpenter family, and then he sat with scholars and confused them. They thought he was a wizard of sorts with miracles and signs and wonders, and then he refused to play to the crowd. He was a Jew who intentionally and deliberately constantly went to the Gentiles. He was a rabbi who refused to go to the synagogues. He had an unboxed life. In a world of men, he empowered women. He was unboxing his his entire time on earth. And in that regard... There's a word for us, because God doesn't want to fit into our boxes. He wants to be unboxed in our lives. He wants to release power and intimacy and glory in such a way that almost it's hard to conceptualize with our head, but he wants to touch us in our hearts. And that's our big idea today, is that as we look at this story of Christ being revealed, I want you to be encouraged to look into your own story. And so we're going to build on these three ideas about looking to Jesus and listening to him and then learning about his glory and that there's something up on the mountaintop that can sustain us in every difficult valley we face. It's about looking, it's about listening, it's about learning. Ultimately, what is it about? It's about Jesus being unboxed in our lives. We need more of Jesus. Is anybody here... Just want more of Jesus in your life right now. Yeah, me too. Me too. There is just a, um, a spirit of despair for so many. And where do we get past that? It's not with more of our effort or more of our, our boxes. It's more of God's glory. So let's, let's look here um, and unpack the text a little bit. As we look to Jesus... We see his identity, it will be dazzling, supernatural, it will be glorious, only when we look at Jesus. I want to look at the first four verses from Mark 9. Um, Jesus said to them, I tell you, some aren't standing here, you'll you'll not taste death before you see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Uh, Mark included that, uh, that line to precipitate what comes next, because this is a story of great power. After six days... Jesus took on the seventh day, a holy day, Peter, James, and John, his inner three, up him, up on a high mountain, the highest, and they were alone. And there he was transfigured. I'll unpack that word in just a minute. His clothes even became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared with him Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. So this is a, let's let's unbox this. I'm sorry, I I know you're going to get tired of hearing that, but let's, let's unpack it a little bit. It's When we teach like this, what we're trying to do is not for you just to hear something, it's for you to experience how to make the scriptures come to life in your life, that you would read the Bible and there would be an unveiling or like, oh, what does this mean for me? That's ultimately why all of us go. It's why we come to church too. We're, We're trying to get a taste of the divine, something unboxed for our own lives. And so what is going on in this story 
that Jesus um, is, is living into that verse one, that the kingdom of God is coming with power. And remember Mark, I said this earlier, maybe some of you didn't hear it, but Mark, the writer of this, he was the scribe to Peter. He was kind of the servant to Peter, and Peter is, was you know, one of Jesus' best friends, probably arguably the, the most powerful disciple. Later, Peter would say in 2 Peter, he said, we were with him on the holy mountain. And then in verse 16 of 2 Peter 1, Peter writes, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. So for Peter, he's making the connection that because he's seen God's glory, because he's seen Jesus as he is, it sustains him for what comes in the future. So much so that Peter would be martyred by Nero in 64 AD, that he, would, that he would be put to death. He was so confident that what he saw with Jesus, he's saying, you can't take that away from me. You can't threaten it. You can't diminish it. You can't, you can't box it. There's something when we see God, we just say, I've seen the real thing. And now I don't, I don't want to deal with this, uh, any other reality other than living into the realness of who Christ is. It's a radical transformation. And it says here that, that Jesus was transfigured. The Greek word is this word metamorphoon, which means to change, to be transfigured. It's this incredible word that happens only four times in all of the New Testament. It means radical transformation. It's not just a different attitude. It's not just a different perspective. It's God unveiling Jesus. In the Lucan version, the disciples... Um, had fallen asleep, and they woke to see this. Mark kind of distills everything down to just the most essence, but that helps me make sense of it, because I wonder, why, Jesus, would you unveil, like, up on the mountain, but not more often? But he wasn't doing a show for his friends. He was convening with God. He was unveiled, and his clothes and his body changed, whiter than any bleach. I love Mark, who's so spare with words, gives us this little, like, addendum, like, this is really white, but it is interesting, right? It's not just Jesus, like skin, it's everything touching Jesus too. Think about first century Palestine. Think of the dust. Think of the dirt, the grimes, the rags. Everything on Jesus is white, is brilliant. And I find that super encouraging because there's so much in my life right now that can feel worn down or diminished or dusty or but the things connected to God, when God reveals himself, everything near God gets transfigured too. That's hopeful for us, that if we get close to the Lord, that we have this hope of being changed, which means our clothes, our relationships, our spirit, our, our, our discouragement, all of it, when God shows us his glory, it's all, it's all changed, it's all transfigured. And they're up on this mountain, probably Mount Hermon, though like all things in the Bible, scholars like to argue about it. Um, but Mount Hermon, I'm going to go with Mount Hermon. It's up uh, geographically where Jesus has been in Caesarea Philippi. It's in the northern part of Israel. It's now in kind of the border between Syria and Jordan. It's the headwaters for the Jordan River. It's a, it's a series of peaks, actually, but Mount Hermon being the highest, about 9,000 feet. So it's it's quite a hike from where they're at down by the Sea of Galilee. It's quite a ways to go. God speaks often in Scripture from the mountains. Moses on Mount Sinai, Elijah on Mount Carmel, Jesus both in his temptation and the transfiguration. And something happens on the mountaintop. 
we experience that. Those that ski, those of you that hike, those in Pacific Northwest, our mountains, I mean, doesn't it just bring life to you on those rare days in the winter where you see Mount Rainier and it's like the clouds part just for a moment. You're like, oh, there it is. It's like a marker of like other times of the year when we get to see it more often. Mountains are powerful. And so Jesus brings his three best friends up there to, to have this experience. It's really intimate. And, and he shows up with uh, Elijah and, and Moses, who show up in this moment of revelation. The thing about mountains is you can't live up there, but there's something that Jesus wants his disciples to experience that only the mountaintop can teach, that only that experience away from the crowds, they've traveled likely for days to get up there, away from the people that need help, away from all the discouragements, they're up where Jesus can have this moment alone with his three best friends. And, and I don't know how that strikes you, but I'm, I'm struck that Jesus had 12. Most of us probably don't have 12 best friends, but Jesus also had three. Like if you were to go up on a mountain right now and have an experience, who would be your three? Who would be like the three, your three closest people? We need, we need people. We need like our, we need our, our, our inner circle, people that we can experience God with, people that we can have taste of the divine with that kind of remind us both who God is and who we are. And I've said it before, I just feel like there's been such a spirit of loneliness that's hit so many of us. But maybe this sermon's going to be just an invitation. I loved what Amy Beth said earlier, that we're kind of learning how to be invitational again. Maybe you want to invite somebody over to a meal in the month ahead, or to Easter, or Easter brunch, like, you know, or eat out, or eat at a park if you don't want to have people in your home. But who's our three? Jesus brings his three closest friends up, and then this incredible thing happens. Moses, who's been dead since 1473 BC, shows up. And Elijah, who's been dead since around 849 BC. Although the scriptures don't really tell us when Elijah died. He just flew off to heaven, if you remember that story from 1 Kings. And so there's this incredible thing that happens. It's just supernatural. It's like Jesus, we've been, you know, week by week unpacking this. Jesus walking on water, Jesus spitting in the mud and healing people. It's just another story of the majesty and glory and surprising godliness of Christ. We relate often to Christ in the earthiness of like, well, he walked here. He was God incarnate who walked the earth. That's true. But he was God incarnate. And something unbelievable happens. That Moses, who is a kind of a sign of all the Old Testament scriptures, and then Elijah, who's a sign of all the Old Testament prophets, it's like they're here. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says they were talking about Jesus, about what was to come. He was like having his like moment before heading into Jerusalem to ultimately give his life. That's you know getting ahead of the story a little bit. But here on the mountain, it's a sign of Messiah. It's a sign that, wow. Jesus is the one that, that Moses talked about and Elijah foretold he's here. And so it's incredible. It's incredible. There's something about looking to Jesus. There's something about these mountaintops which blows our human capability to understand. We're meant to experience the glory of God. We're meant to move beyond just learning things to actually 
experiencing things and looking with the way of the heart, looking beyond just even what the eyes can see. Jesus has this incredible glory about him. We'll talk about that on Easter Sunday, but this is just kind of a foretaste that when Jesus is unboxed, it is glory. It is God. It is beautiful. It's hard to see that in our day and age. Um, this last week, got uh, into our car to load the kids to drive to the bus stop, which is no more than like 600 yards away, but we often drive it because we're running late. And so get in the car, and we're often not just like driving because we're running late, we're like running late even in the car. And it's like, you know, ask our friends at the bus stop. It's kind of like, are the sun's going to make it today? But, you know, we often do. We often do make it. But jump in the car. Come on, you guys. And, you know, we're heading to the bus stop. And I look in the mirror. It's like, look good. Looks, can't see much, but we must be fine. Start to pull out. We have a newer car to us after driving, like, old piece of junks forever. And then crunch. Ah, what? I, I looked. And I looked again, and my rearview mirror actually just had that thin morning layer of fog all over it. And I backed right into my other car. So, the double accident. Yeah. Now, I, if that was one of my kids or my wife, I'd be like, what were you thinking? What were you seeing? You know? Then once you yourself, you're like, who do I blame here? Who do I blame here? Who do I blame here? I can't blame anyone but myself. So then I just walked around and said, yep, I blew it. I, I should have taken a moment and like cleared the mirror. We often, we look and, and we make assumptions that what we see is the real thing. Or we're good to go, we're safe. And just the reality that we often see, uh, we don't see things as they are. We see things often through a limitation of our humanity or our own darkness of uh, discouragement, or something going on, or just a mirror that's just foggy. But this Jesus is inviting us to really see him. And if we see him, then maybe like Peter, we'll have a power source to sustain us. We've got to look to the Lord. And then the second thing that, that God says in this really surprising text is we've got we to gotta listen. We've got to listen to Jesus. Ironically, Jesus doesn't say anything in this whole story. But God says, listen to him. Because Jesus' voice, when we learn to listen, is a voice of authority and comfort in our lives. Look at verse 5 of Mark 9. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. That's an understatement. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So they were looking towards him, even in the glory, and fear comes in. I find that really encouraging because so often it's easy to lampoon Peter, but we miss that he often is seeking to really, he's trying to do the work. He's trying to to do something. I, I relate to Peter so much. And Peter often does get it right. He misses a lot too, but he often does in his desire to to, to be good, to be godly. He He makes the connection. Uh, but he runs around, and in the version of Luke, it says that Elijah and Moses were getting ready to depart, but the disciples woke up to see it. Um, but Peter's reaction, he says, let's build a box. Let's, let's build a box for, for you guys to spend the night. 
He wakes up, and it's like, okay, Moses has been dead 1,500 years. And for a Jew to be with Moses, it's like, oh, my gosh, like celebrity, you know? And then Elijah, and then Jesus is, like, shining, like, you know? And then Peter, instead of just paying attention or waiting or listening, he does what I do so often. He just, oh, I'll do something. I'll, I'll build something for you. I'll try harder. Ah, it's good, right? We'll build shelters. It doesn't really make sense to 2022 to us, but for first century Jew, it would make some sense because they had this holy festival. It's called Sukkot, the festival uh, of the booths or, or the feast of the tabernacles. Tabernacles or booths are like an outside patio. That for Jews, they would, to celebrate how God provided for Israel coming through the desert, they would once a year, they would build a booth outside their house, and they as a family would eat in the booth or the tabernacle, or they would, you know, sometimes even sleep in it. It was just that reminder when they would look at the box outside the house, like, God has provided for us. So Peter wakes up, and he's like, I'll build a box for you. I'll build a box for them. We'll never go down. Never, never mind the fact we're 9,000 feet high and probably didn't have very many stores, but he's like, I just, I want to stay here. I don't want anything to change from the beauty of this moment. Man, how, how often do I want to do the same thing? I have this little moment with my wife that's just so good. I'm like, can we just stay good forever? And can't. I mean, the last really big fight we had, the beginning of our date night, I said, isn't it amazing how long things have been so good with us? Never, never start a date with that. That's just a bad idea. That involves, yeah. Yeah, the end of the date, not so great. But we want things to never change in our humanity. A moment with our kids or a friend or a roommate or a church or a society. We want to just box it and just like, can we just like keep things the same? But Peter's not... He's not a fool here. He's, he's acting out of his spiritual tradition, but just saying, let's build something so that we don't have to go back down. And he misses the chance to really listen to what's going on. And then God shows up in the Shekinah glory. It's interesting to me that kind of paradox between Jesus being unboxed and God's presence being cloudy. Because it's almost like when God shows up in a cloud, he's like, Okay, I want you, like my mirror story, I want to disorientate you a bit because some things you're not going to see with your eyes. You need to experience with your heart. God shows up and says, listen to him. Listen. He's not, ironically, he's not saying anything. But for Peter, it's just this like, I think this encouragement, not not a strong word of condemnation, but an encouragement. Slow down. Listen more. Don't always rush in with your expectations of things being boxed in certain packages. Be open-handed to what God wants to say and do. And if there's one thing I want you to go away from this sermon, I want you to learn to do that work of listening to God, of learning to really listen to him. And there's two real practical ways. Is first is seek to listen to God through prayer. Because remember, Jesus doesn't say a word here, but there's something we're supposed to experience. 
and I'm very much in process this myself, but oftentimes prayer is not meant to just be us always speaking. It's us trying to be quiet and breathing and listening. Our prayer life should be teaching us how to listen to more of God. And then the second way, if we're going to be like leaning into God's teaching here, like listen to him, is the words that we do have of Christ are in the Bible. So we really need to be a church that seeks to listen to Jesus through Scripture. When we open the Bible, we're not just checking a box of like, well, that's my religious upbringing. No, it's I'm trying to get back to listening to Jesus in my life. As a church, we've been reading through Mark together. I don't know how many of you have been able to do it, but I know it's been hard for many of us just to like stay up with all the readings or read it as a family or as a couple or as an individual. And, but we need to be a church really listening to Jesus. How did he speak? He spoke into the scriptures. So we read the scriptures in order to listen to Jesus. And then it's just, it's just over. They, like, as soon as Peter could like run around and grab materials, it's like it's just over. And I think there's a sadness probably for Peter if, if he's like me. He's just like, man, I just thought we could have more time up here on the mountain to see this incredible moment. But we don't, we don't get to box God in. We don't get to control the narrative. We don't get to do that. But we look and we listen and then ultimately, hopefully, we're moving as his people to learning. Learning the way, not just of the head, but of the heart. Learning the way of the heart. That we would be a church that's actually experiencing the glory of God. Not, not just the rules of God, not just the traditions that maybe some of us feel like, oh, I need to be unboxed from the tradition. No. Learning the ways of God. The glory, the goodness, the, the joy, the beauty that those people were like, man, it was the most beautiful, eye-popping beauty we've ever seen. When we learn to see God on the mountains, it will fuel us in the flatlands. Look at verses 9 and 10 here. They were coming down from the mountain now. Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. They came down. They came down from the mountain. We can't live on mountains, literally and metaphorically. We have mountaintop experiences we have moments where, like Michelle was saying in worship, that maybe it's a thin space between the, the ways of humans and the ways of God. And though we would want to just put that in a bottle and always return to it, we don't, we don't live on mountaintops. In our relationships, in our spiritual life, like there's something in this teaching, though, if we can learn, to, to, if we learn from it, it, there's a power on the mountain that sustains us in the everyday. There's a power to what we've experienced in God that's like, man, it's been a rough day, but Sunday's coming. Or, or last Sunday, I, just, I, I, I was able, in just a moment, I just was reminded of God's glory. I talked to somebody who came to church for the first time in a long time, and they said, you know, what really made an impact was watching other people worship God. And I want to particularly say to those people watching online, we love you. And some of you are stuck in places where remote church has to be a reality. But you've got to press through and find spaces where you can learn to experience God's glory again. It's so difficult through a TV screen. We know that. It's so difficult. It's difficult being in the room. It's always difficult because our humanity is warring with our ability to make this divine connection. We've got to learn We've got to learn how to experience God again. 
not just the stuff that we think about or, or the, the ways of the box of like all the you know traditions and all these things. Like I want to be like Peter and just react out of my experiences from the past. No, there's something as we look and we listen and we learn the ways of Christ that can be transformative then through the flatlands when things get difficult, when anxiety peaks, when fear is evident. We are reminded as God's people, there is a power beyond anything that we can orchestrate on our own. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I so want us to continue as a church to press into this journey of the heart. Experiencing not fancy words or even guitar chords, but that you would experience for yourself a touch of the divine, a glimpse of God's glory by looking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning, God, how can I experience you in the each and the every day? And so towards that end, we're going to end not with more words, but an experience of prayer. And I'm going to invite the worship team up. And what I already said to you is there's something on the mountains, that when we experience just a reminder of the glory of God, it can sustain us into the flatlands of every place that we journey. And so what we're going to do here is just a closing prayer that we would all be able to go to the mountain here for just a moment. The band's going to come. I invite you just to kind of settle in to where you're sitting, and we're going to have just a guided prayer time. And so I'd, I'd invite you to bow your heads with me if you would. And we're going to, again, we're trying to move from this place of just our head knowledge to an experience of Christ in our heart. So if you're so willing, I'd love you to put your, put your right hand over your heart. And as you do that, take a deep breath with me. Breathe in. Breathe out. People at home, you're in this with us. Your hand is over your heart. Maybe you can even feel that heartbeat under your hand. Let's take another breath together as God's people. Continue to hold your heart. Jesus, we want to learn what it's like to be your people. We want to have a fresh experience with your glory, God, whether it comes in worship today or prayer tomorrow morning or in scripture on Wednesday or We need a mountaintop, God. For many of us, it's been quite a while since we saw you on the mountain. So God, would you teach us how to experience your glory? We want a taste and touch of your glory, God. We're grateful that Peter and James and John got to spend that time with you, but we know, Jesus, that That was 2,000 years ago, and that the people in this room weren't there, but Lord, we, we read the scripture as people on the far side of the cross, and so we get to know what happened there, but God, would you do it again? Lord, would you help us see your glory again? Would you help us have some sort of peak experience again, where we'd be reminded again that you're not a God inside a box. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the unveiled one. You are God of the heavens come to earth. 
And Lord, even as we're still in Lent, I know it's a bit early to celebrate resurrection, but my friends here in this room could, could use a little touch again, could see a little of your glory again, could feel that heartbeat under their hand again. This church, God, is hungry again for your glory. God, we confess that we want to box you up. We want to run around with our own practices or efforts. And even sometimes in the church, we, we miss it. So God, remind us again of your great love and your mercy and your tender touch and your beauty. That the people in this room, the people on this feed right now, God, that they were made in your image. The heart beats under our hands another breath in your lungs. Lord, we want to see you. We want to listen to you. We want to learn from you. God, show us your glory. In your great name we pray. Amen. The hope isn't to be people of the head, to be a church of the heart. So as we sing, maybe there's a place of invitation in your heart. You're like, hey, Lord, would you touch that relationship again? Would you t- touch that raw spot again? Would you touch that brokenness again? Would you touch that shame again? You can pray in your own heart to go up on the mountain, even right now as we worship, that we would experience God together. Let's close in song.